Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Some of the folks that I like to be facilitated by the least are absolutely beloved and gifted and doing this work 30 hours a week with clients who could not be happier. Sure. So who gives a fuck what I think yeah, an exactly. hour a week? Like, does that matter? Right. I, it, it doesn't really, but it's easy to feel in the moment. Like, I know what's good. And it's like, well, maybe that's true because I have expertise. Maybe it's not. But does it matter if it's working? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rodney Evans. Hello, everyone. I am also joined by a leaf blower. Uh, (laughs) I can tell by your tone how annoyed you are by the leaf blower. Just in the opening, I was like, he's mad. Uh, Yeah, when I retire, I'm taking on policy work, and the policy work is only electric leaf blowers, and they all do it on the same day all around the world. I need an electric Um, leaf blower. Yeah. I don't own one. We've got to do it. It's time to take action. I can't wait to become one of the enemy. that's not what today's episode is about. Although it is related because it is a form of feedback. Uh, On today's episode, I want to talk about feedback and not so much how to give it because we've had episodes about that. We had our Kim Scott episode. We've had others where we talk about how to give feedback, but actually how to set up a system and a culture of feedback that does it well. But before we get into that, let's do a little bit of back and forth on the check-in. Okay. We're going to start this episode, like every episode, with a check-in question. Today's is... What is something that you splurged on recently? Splurges. Hmm. Yeah. Any kind of splurge. Yeah. It could be like a, a caloric splurge or a financial splurge or a yeah. time investment sl- splurge. Yeah. Sky's the limit. Well, the sky's the limit. I think the the spending that is most on my mind is that we went to an incredible dinner at our ready retreat. Oh, yeah. And remember? And we took everybody to... Do remember, to this, Aaron. Yeah. Yes, this is... Uh, well, you know, you were like, what? And I was like, there it was. We, we went, to, we took the whole team, we shut down a restaurant, like a Michelin star restaurant, and we ate incredible food for three and a half hours and drank a lot of drinks. So and, and when I got the bill, I was like, I think that's the most expensive dinner mm. bill that I've ever seen. Oh, it was and, great. And it was totally worth it, in my opinion. Like it's really, so really exceptionally worth it. So much fun at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I will say like between between courses, probably like four and six are a little hazy. <laughs> there, de- there definitely is like 20 minutes in there that like Will and Matt and I are kind of like, yeah, we were really riffing. Did there. I'm not yeah. no, okay. totally clear on what mm-hmm. we were talking about. I remember having a very like soulful conversation with Matt about making adult male friends Perfect. and him being hol- like hilarious. But, you know, it's a it's a highlight reel at this point. Oh, my um, God. For me, I've made a, I've, <laughs> I've been like spending my feelings a little bit lately. I just go through phases where I am like the world, the world I think because we're coming up on the elections mm-hmm. and like news is bad, like the news is bad. And I'm just like, you know what? Maybe money won't be worth anything. I should buy these sneakers. You a know, retail therapy. Yeah, for real. And also I have other vices that are so much worse than than buying things that I actually can afford to buy. Sure. One of which was I wanted a new down comforter for our room in Durham because I want to like rotate so that there's a down comforter in every room at the lake house. For Amazing. Visitors. As we go and into the cold I season. just usually I'm like, you know, do a lot of research and comparison, whatever. And I just was like, I just want the best one. And so I just went on the wire cutter. Yes. article and I just was like you know they like that basically one. rank them and I was just like no, I'm getting the best one and holy shit it's so good so nice 
So I love categories where you actually get what you pay for because oh there are God. some where you like buy a Dolce & Gabbana t-shirt and it just falls apart in two weeks and you're like, that's trash. Yeah. But sometimes you buy something and you're like, oh my God, this knife, this knife though. Yeah. So I love that it worked out. And I also love that you went to Wirecutter because I know how right. Wirecutter stacks their recos and it's mm. always like the reasonable best choice. <laughs> and then down below, it's like, are you an idiot who just wants to spend too much money? <laughs> and you and I are like, yeah. I feel like that category is just like, hey, Rodney, are you sad? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They write it. They <laughs> like write it, but, they, but they're sort of like sh- scowling at you a little bit when they're like, really? Like for the people that want to blow it all out. Yeah. Here. No one who's writing that article can afford this down comforter. And because someone will email and ask, the company is called Feathered Friends. And Mm. I had never heard of them before. And they have a lot of wonderful things on their website. So go to town. Save the pennies. Yeah, go go do your own retail therapy, everybody. Okay. So today's topic, now that we're warm and cozy, is feedback systems. And I guess I want to start by asking you, in your experience, both at The Ready and other companies that you've helped create, what has been hard about establishing a feedback culture and the actual like mechanical connections between agreements, policies, procedures, norms around feedback? Everything. Everything is hard. Everything about it is hard. <laughs> what There's you nothing noticed? about it that's not hard, except not doing it, which is hard in a different way. Right. It's it's like exercise in that way. <laughs> it's just like driven, <laughs> driven to dark corners. Yeah. Yeah. I feel... It's so yeah. fucked. <laughs> here's, the, here's the central conundrum that I wanted your help with today. On the one hand, the research tells us that, you know, feedback, generally speaking, doesn't work very well unless it's about building on strengths and, yes. you know, sort of working on the positive. And, and particularly when it's like directed by the individual, we've talked about that, like they kind of ask for what they want, et cetera. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's this reality that like how people are performing in roles and basically upholding the agreements of their roles and the projects they take on is also an issue you have to contend with, which is like if you're not delivering what you say you'll deliver or you're not capable of doing the job that you signed up to do, there's some kind of a feedback loop that's necessary there that isn't aligning with that science. And ultimately, mm-hmm. you need a system where people are able to keep commitments and able to perform in the roles. And you know that if you just give them critical feedback about the lack of that, a lot, like eight times out of 10, it's not going to work. Right. So there's this weird connection between those two ideas in my head. And I think we've always struggled, at least historically for me at, at the ready with like having a feedback culture of after a meeting, we talk about what worked and what didn't. We've gotten, I think, a lot better at that over the years. Mm-hmm. We do a lot Ask of... Cats. Yeah, we do a lot of ASCATs, we do retros, we do all those sort of reflective moments pretty well. But when it comes to like, how am I doing in the finance role? We don't really have anything. Should we talk anything. about that right now? Sure, go ahead. I mean, you can drag me if you want. But but I think like, we don't really have a thing, I guess yeah, is my no, point. And, and and the same is true or is emerging to be true at, at Murmur. So I, so I think the takeaway is that it's probably my fault in both cases. Mm. And so I thought like help episode. What, you know, what is the right approach to feedback and commitment keeping and performance and upholding agreements, et cetera, in, mm-hmm. in a self-managing culture? Yeah. So, so I, I don't, I don't have the answers. I know that you were saying, neither. you know, you don't either. And so let's, let's see if we can find some together. Okay. That's so fun. And I feel like, you know, your prompt is about self-managing cultures, but this is even yeah. to me, like worse and more critical in non-self-managing cultures because at least at the ready, if you cannot work with someone and there's no feedback mechanism in place or you're not using that mechanism, you can go to a different project. It is (laughs) like... You can pick up your stuff and move. You can get away from them. You know, if you... Like, obviously, if you have a good reputation and their projects and, and whatever, but it's not like you're stuck in a job on a team with these yahoos and you're in, you have no mobility. Like I've definitely had times at the ready where I was like, well, that was an experiment we won't repeat, you know, yeah, totally, in terms totally. of partnering with people. And that doesn't mean that they're like not good people in our system or they're not good at their jobs. I was just like, this isn't, this isn't my kind of partnership. Yeah. I'm a go. But in most systems, you can't do that. You're just stuck. Right. You can't escape. And 
a lot of times if someone's working for you and you're the manager, you like, what are your options? You can't move them to another team. Very limited. Um, at least in a self-managing system, also in many cases, you can call for an election or like change who's right. in a role and that's right. a little bit more fluid. Right. But but in, what's funny about all those situations is they're all still fundamentally avoidant. Yeah. Like it's kind of like, I'm yeah. just going to leave you alone and go over here or I'm going to call for an election and put you in a different role mix. But but there isn't actually a, a point of contact about like, how are you doing? Yeah. And and how are you developing? So yeah. so yeah, I think you're right. It is it's probably even more critical in a in a traditional system. And I suppose in those systems that the default approach is one that I'm not a huge fan of, which is one person, the manager, gets to have kind of the winning perspective and just drive that conversation and, and basically ask people to conform to their desires or get fired. Mm-hmm. But in the self-managing system, if you want to actually have that feedback loop really going in a healthy way and, and actually you know, driving development. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. And and mm-hmm. the only case that comes up when you talk about feedback in the self management literature that really like rises to the surface is Bridgewater. Mm. And that feedback culture is so unique and so idiosyncratic, and in some cases so like scary that I don't think that that's necessarily the model that everybody can enjoy. I think that's like a real even over choice to yeah. play that game. Yeah. And that's not my game, I don't think. I hope not. You know? Yeah. I mean, obviously works for them. Kind of. It kind of works for them. I think what I think what the Bridgewater system does really, really well is shows people exactly what they're in for so people can leave. Right, exactly. It's like, look, this is you know, it's like look, it's a surveillance state. Yeah. You're going to be continuously monitored and receive information whether you want it or not. Yep. If you like that, right. you're going to do great here. Yeah, masochists welcome. And there's a ton, you know, it's like a very high washout rate there, I think, sure. because there's a lot of clarity around that. But that's like, I, that's not a system I would recreate. Well, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, and particularly for like, you know, having known a couple of people who left there feeling like fairly traumatized and bullied who were women. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's uh, meant it for everyone. It may not be the most inclusive I think it's meant for everyone. approach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not for yeah. everyone. For yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and maybe, maybe just for listeners that don't know that system well, because we're talking mm. about inside yeah. baseball, I'll describe it so that we can then contrast against it. So we know what the very traditional system is. It's manager gives feedback, manager decides if you're good enough, manager promotes you, manager fires you. Mm-hmm. In the Bridgewater system, it is there. there is constant capture of everybody's thoughts about everybody else. And based on your seniority and tenure and, and what they call believability in different areas, like your, you know, how, how reliable you are as a, as a narrator in different areas of decision-making, there are different weights applied to those opinions, but you are essentially taking a feedback fire hose all the time. That's just like, here's what everybody thinks of you. Here's how much they believe you. Here's what they think you're good at and bad at. And you basically have to just swim through a constant evaluation. Like imagine your end of year eval, but what if it was every day from everyone? (laughs) Um, And that's, and that's kind of the, that's kind of the game. So I think, I think the question becomes what's the what's the third way? Yeah. Here's the here's the thing that I like about that though that I think we can extract since we don't have an answer and we're trying to make something yeah. functional here. I do think that there is a thing about frequency and variety in terms of mm-hmm. feedback providers that I think over time and reps it probably takes like quite a bit of the charge out of feedback in a way yeah. that's positive. Right. Because the more it becomes like a very episodic, very like big deal, yeah. the more stuff gets attached to it. And so it's like, you know, I, as someone who has been like a practitioner in these spaces in my life and has been in very feedback rich teams, I do kind of feel like if you get to a point where like, every, you know, after every meeting, you're doing like a hot wash or after ever at the end of every week, people have the ability to be like, here's how you were an asshole. It does. It's not even developing a toughness around it. It's like developing a tolerance around it where it's like, I have had this experience this many times and nothing catastrophic has come from it. And so now my like monkey mind is calmed down a little bit to be like, every time someone says I didn't do something to their liking or that I hurt their feelings or whatever, <laughs> right. doesn't it, like it, it's like nothing, nothing ultimately that bad is going to happen. I'm not no, in actual peril. 
Right. I'm not in actual peril. And it's like, you know, it's like anything else. It's like, you know, learning to swim. Like one of the big, because I've been working on swimming so much since August, you know, the biggest hurdles around swimming are mental, not physical. And having done a lot of reading about this, like most people who are trying to get to distance have to overcome panic. Right. Because like, our minds are not wired to swim in a direction that we can't see. Right. And to be continually like looking into the depths of something while (laughs) moving forward. Like it creates a lot of stuff in there. But the more you do it and don't die or drown, the more you realize that like it's okay. And now I like very rarely have those moments where I think I'm going to drown in a pool. Yeah. Um, But when I started... You know, I think I told you that I was like, there are alligators in this lake. And Ed was like, first of all, there are no alligators in this state. Second yeah. of all, they're not going to eat you, even right. if there were. Third of all, we would know. Like, we yes, have sandy banks. We would we would have seen You'd them. See them but that's like what your brain does. And feedback is the same thing. So I yep. think practice and feedback repetition. Feedback is an alligator. Feedback is an alligator. I, there's something in that that I think is positive. Yeah, yeah. I like that too. And I think it is, it does seem to to me that cultures that do it well have whatever it might be, they have a ritual around it that makes it more normal. Mm-hmm. Like I know in the book, yeah. I talked briefly about the Pixar kind of movie review cycle that they go through where they get 30 people in a room and they just beat the shit out of it on a yeah. pretty regular basis while they're yeah. making it. And and I'm sure the first time you do that when you join Pixar, you're like, you know, but by the 30th one, you're like, this is where we all get together and beat the shit out of stuff. And exactly. like, it doesn't mean that anybody's a bad director. Exactly. So, yeah. And we went through a process for a while at the ready where we were using like a crit process that I learned from friends in art school a long, long time ago. And for the most part, it actually worked really well right. because, for that exact reason, because it was focused on the work not on the individual mm-hmm. and it had a structure and everybody did it. And it was like, we were all there in the spirit of making a thing better. Yeah. No one was there to be like, you're a dumbass. Right. Why would you bring this here? Everybody was like, Hey, did you think about this? Here's And you know, I think that is very much in like the spirit of the Pixar thing. I feel like one of, and I'm like capturing nugs as we go so we can recap yeah. what we've figured out. But I think <laughs> one of the, Uh, tenets that's important and really helpful that we should parse is there is a time for interpersonal feedback. And most of the time, feedback should be about work because we're doing work. Well, that's actually what I wanted to ask you next is I I have identified three buckets and I want to know what you think are the ways to engage in or not engage in those buckets. All right. Because I do think that we, they all get crammed together when we talk feedback. Totally. The first one is exactly what you just said. It's the work. So we're talking about the work product. Like you're a designer, you make a design, and then we all look at the design and we talk about what we like and don't like, and we give feedback on the work. Same thing for a a deck or a document or a plan or a strategy or whatever it might be. The second one is what you said is interpersonal. I would call it like how I experience you. Mm -hmm. So are are you someone that makes me feel good or bad? Do I feel like you show up in a way that's not kind or pleasant or that you aren't unprofessional or whatever the case may be, but something, or maybe it's, maybe it's super positive feedback. Like you just make everyone feel amazing. Mm-hmm. But how, how do we experience you as a, as a citizen? And then the third bucket is, which I'm actually most interested in, in of all, is you have a set of agreements around you in terms of the role or roles that you hold in terms of the processes and policies and norms and other things that we've documented, at least in our self-managing systems you do. You have a set of agreements that you're beholden to and the feedback about how you are or are not upholding those agreements. Mm. So it's not how I'm experiencing you. It's not how, it's not the work. It's not the design itself. It's like, this says you're responsible for taking out the trash and you don't take out the trash. Mm -hmm. So that's a certain kind of feedback. So as you Mm -hmm. look at those three buckets, like how do you, how do you think about them differently? Yeah. Well, so let's talk about the work product one because it's easiest. Sure. I think, you know, things like, um, this is a McChrystal Group thing, but in-progress reviews or some kind of, you know, or crits or whatever you want to call them. We also used to do a thing at MG that it's it's not a great name, but I always appreciate it, which was called Murder Boards. Love it. Which, I know, (laughs) but... But basically, it was like before you were going to give a talk or something like that, you gave it in front of a panel mm-hmm. that was a, a panel of your peers. To murder you? That was 
a bit hostile. Yeah. And like, and they, they would give you positive feedback too. It wasn't only pointing right. out the gaps, but basically the idea was put yourself in the situation you're going to be in yeah. and practice. Like practice right. there with an audience who maybe isn't like totally rooting for you because mostly mm-hmm. audiences aren't totally rooting for you. Right. Um, right. So like IPRs, crits, murder boards, you know, looking back at the end of the week, Stuff like that, I think, you know, doing things like questions and reactions on documents. Like, I think all of that stuff is a little bit more straightforward because we're all focused on a thing rather than a human. Right. Is there anything you would add to that before we move on to maybe some of the harder ones? No, I feel like the agreement there is just like, what's our MO on how we evaluate WIP? Yeah. And how we prepare and how we like, you know, use our collective intelligence to make the work better. Yeah. And I think you could have, yeah, you could do murder boards, you could do, you know, crits, you could have your own Pixar review, pro- whatever it is. But like yeah. you have a way that you check in with the work in progress and a way to show up. Ideally, the thing I like about the murder board idea, although the name is so, so much, it's not great. Um, it's not great. Is, is I love the idea of being like performatively hostile for fun and holding yeah. it lightly, where yeah. it's like, I want you three to tear this apart with some humor. And with some lightness, but your job is to be like, to take, take it down. Yeah. And then, and then when we're done with that, then your job is to like build it back up. Like, what do you actually like about it? And just sometimes I think having the right container or like we're playing this game now mm-hmm. is so much more, it, it takes away that monkey mind thing you were talking about where it's totally. like, we're now playing the insult game. Yeah. It's like a roast, right? Like it when is. you're at a roast, nobody's like, oh my God, I'm going to die. They're like, this is the goal. Of the, the goal, the goal right. of this is to give you shit. Right. And as someone who got murder boarded a lot because I did a lot of public <laughs> things there, it's re- <laughs> it was it's really beneficial to see how you're going to perform when you're actually really nervous because yeah. it does make you really nervous and then like always in front of the clients or on stage it was way easier. Right, right. It's <laughs> like because mostly on stage like those people don't actually have an opportunity at the end to rip your thing apart. Right. They get to just leave and go on their way and not invite you back next year. Yeah. <laughs> but they're murder war people are like I hate your shirt. You say um yeah. too much. That slide yeah. is garbage, you know, and you're like, "Okay. Okay. Here we go." Bring it you on. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So let's talk about the like how I experience you. Yeah. Feedback. The hardest I one. I mean, you and I have like practiced some of this, sure, because of our coaching work. What have I you think, learned? <laughs> what I think have we the, learned? so. Here's the thing about this one. Mm. I think if you want to have close working relationships, it's absolutely critical. Got to do it because you need to be in a dialogue about how you're showing up and like mm-hmm. ideally building and growing in this area. Mm-hmm. I also think it's the most fraught totally. of the three, and the reason is I think it is a bit of a power confusion space mm. where it's like in a, in a, in a management system, when I tell you that I'm experiencing you as too timid and I need you to be more confident, mm. that's, that's the final word. Like I'm your manager, mm. you'll either do that or you won't get promoted. So you kind of have to grapple with it on your own time. But in a self-managing context, if you're like, Aaron, you're too confident or too loud or whatever, it's like, I can just be like, no, I'm not. Fuck you. <laughs> You Which know, happens and, all the time. Right. And so not with you specifically. I'm just right. saying, like, but with if people, you see feedback in self-management dismissed totally, that way yeah. very frequently. Totally. And and because there isn't a power dynamic necessarily of like, or there's not a direct power dynamic of like you have to respond to this or you have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And because it's the most personally threatening kind of feedback, because it's not about the work, it's not about the agreements, it's about you. Yeah. And it's like you kind of come across as a bit of an ass. And you're mm-hmm. like, how do I resist that? How do I push back? Mm-hmm. So I think this one is the one that requires the most practice and scaffolding and commitment from both parties. And I don't know, I don't know how to scale this one. Yeah. I don't know how to like make an agreement where it's like, we just do this well. It doesn't yeah. seem to work that way. It's like individual couples have to be like, we're gonna work on this. Yeah. Do you agree or disagree? I totally agree. And and here's the thing, just about the last thing you said. It's like in a in a in any system, it doesn't even matter if it's self-managing and more reputationally focused, because that shit exists in the most hierarchical sure. traditional systems too. Like everybody there's a story about everybody, whether whether they're oh, in, yeah. a, in a management structure or not. I think that looking like I think the feedback and and data 
is actually really important, both from those who are really close to you and from those who are at a distance. Because it's just like, you're going to get, it's like, you're going to get different takes Mm -hmm. from people and, you know, different grace from people. And, and, and it is for me, like it, it always feels like psychologically much more difficult to have someone who doesn't know me be like, Hey, you're an asshole, but I, it's still good. Like, I still kind of want to know, like, I kind of want to know what the word on the street is. So I think some separation of like, we're in a close working relationship and here is my feedback based on that versus like, I watched a video of your town hall and here's how I interpret you. Mm -hmm. I think it's good to parse that. And one of the things that I liked about a system that we used to use and also a system that we designed at a client was a confidence rating or or a proximity rating or something like that to be like, you know, I feel like I have 100% confidence in my feedback for Aaron. Sure. I have like, it feels 20% that way. confidence in my feedback for someone who's been at the ready for three months and I've never yep. been on a project. Maybe not 20%. And if they want my hot take, I'll give it to them. But I'm yep. like, take this with a grain of salt, man, because I've exactly. seen you in four meetings and like, yep. I don't know your life. Right. So I think, I think both kinds of data are helpful and good if the receiver wants it. But mm-hmm. I also think that um, sometimes it all gets... Like I've been, <laughs> I've been the victim of a 360 where it's like the people who... I worked closely with every single day and people who I barely interacted with, I just got like a download and scores and it was all the same. It was like, yeah. here's the feedback. And it's like, well, okay, yeah. this doesn't feel like this. It's not apples to apples. I, what, what has come into focus for me listening to you talk about that is that while the first type of feedback, the work feedback we talked about, is mostly instantiated through agreements about ritual or meetings or moments where we kind of have a rhythm to it. Mm-hmm. This one, I think, might be best done through a personal commitment that then becomes a norm through like behavior that it's it's on the individual, it's on the player to go ask other people how they're experiencing you at a distance and in close proximity. And you can build a culture, I think, where that becomes very normal, where it's just like, oh, yeah, everybody here who has been here a long time is very habitual about asking others how they're experiencing them. And because they're asking, they're not their guard isn't as high. And because they're asking, they're able to like adopt the right mindset of how to receive it. Because I remember in in the Jim Deathmer episode, like, the, the question of in what way might the thing I'm hearing be true so yeah. that you can find some useful nugget about that, that has always helped me, but only when I remember to hold it. Yeah. So like if I don't remember that and then someone's like, you're, you know, the way you're coming off is whatever, I, I can definitely get into a resistant mode. But if yeah. before I do it, I'm like, I'm going to ask you how you're experiencing me and whatever you say, I'm going to look for the way it might be true. Yeah. I can definitely go in guns blazing and be like pretty good at that. Yeah. Totally. I think um, that's exactly, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing that comes into play here is getting really clear on like preference versus actual quality or competence or something. Sure. So like I've definitely had the experience of both receiving, like receiving feedback. <laughs> this is, this is such a true story. Receiving feedback that's like, you know, your style is too direct or your style is too mm-hmm. aggressive or whatever. I'm surprised. Um, not so much at the ready, but in past lives. And and it's like, okay, well, like my feedback scores from the team that I actually manage are the highest in the building and mm-hmm. clients fucking love me. So mm-hmm. I understand that your preference is that sure. like I behave differently. But like to say that, because you don't enjoy my style means I'm not good at my job is a right. is a false accusation or a, a false conclusion because it's well, like I, it depends on what we're it depends on what we're measuring here like are we measuring a power holder's comfort and happiness right. are we measuring results in the business are we measuring my like competency as a leader in terms yeah. of the people who are following voluntarily what are we measuring cuz cuz that stuff comes out a lot when we start talking about performance and it's you know in in that environment it was basically like you don't kiss the asses of people who want their asses kissed and i was like right. cool i'm very happy to take that <laughs> as a criticism i feel great about it 
I think the what you've highlighted there that's sort of interesting is it depending on the role that you hold, these three things can be really distinct or they can yeah. start to blur. Yeah. And so if you are a product designer at Murmur, the work is very separate from you. It's very measurable. Mm-hmm. It's very much mm-hmm. like you made a thing. Do people click on it or not? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And so it's Easy like out test. there. And then yeah. if you're like, I don't like the way that you whatever, it's separate from the work. But yeah. if you look at something like coaching a facilitation or therapist, yeah. it's like the work product is you. It's you. And yeah. so it gets way blurrier. And it's like, yeah. I don't like the way you're this way or that way. And and I think we've had this at the ready before as a conversation, which is like, who's a good facilitator? Totally. Well, there are lots of different styles of being good at facilitation. And that can lead to a lot of discussion and debate about like, is your style a good style? Right. And it's really hard to measure my experience of you against your impact. Yeah. When it's also soupy. And it's like all the things like that are always going to come down to preference. Right. Like I have very strong preferences around who I like to be facilitated by at the ready. And some of the folks that I like to be facilitated by the least are absolutely beloved and gifted and doing this work 30 hours a week with clients who could not be happier. Sure. So who gives a fuck what I think yeah, an exactly. hour a week? Like, does that matter? Right. I, it, it doesn't really, but it's easy to feel in the moment. Like, I'm like, I know, I know what's good. And it's like, well, maybe that's true because I have expertise. Maybe it's not, but does it matter? Well, if and in that, it's in working. That- area of work product, I think in the first bucket, the question is, how do we crit facilitation mm-hmm. in in the actual real world where it happens? Yeah. And it might be just like rate of renewal, or it might be like sure. client NPS, or it might be like, do you never get fired? Sure. Like what? It, like who knows what it is, but we have a way of, of evaluating that or even getting customer feedback. Yeah. Then there's the how I experience you, which if they adopt the right attitude, they can listen to your point that you don't like it and probably find a little nugget of truth in there where sure. it's like, oh, well, there's something about the way that it rubs you the wrong way that is useful to me. Sure. And it might be a 1% change in how I do what I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think like, I think in our industry in particular for on the ready side, it's like we have to do a lot of careful parsing yeah. between those two, bu- those three buckets. And then I think in a more like work product oriented game, it gets a little bit easier. You know, this also makes me think about, this is not fully formed, but sometimes I think, like, I'll get feedback about something. This happened really recently. And, like, (laughs) we also are making it seem like all feedback is critical. Uh, Just to be clear, (laughs) we should be talking about both kinds. Because, do you remember the ratio, Aaron, that I used to say all the time? about positive feedback to negative feedback in high performing teams? No, I forget. Oh, the ratio of positive to critical feedback among team members in high performing teams is five to one. Okay. In average teams, it's three to one. Okay. And in underperforming teams, it's one to one. Huh. So basically, the more you give good feedback, the more runway you have to actually have critical feedback not be detrimental to the performance of the team. Right, right, right. Yeah, which I think speaks to the early point we made about the way positive feedback works well, et cetera. Yeah. And it also probably builds trust, et cetera. Totally. So But yeah. the thing that I that that like this all sparked for me is this. Sometimes I'll get critical feedback and I'm like, this is useful and interesting to me. And also I made a specific trade-off that was thoughtful in the moment that led Mm. to this. Oh, yeah. And so there is something where it's like, like I'm in this situation right now where I want to be like, let me tell you about, like I did the thought exercise of doing it the way that you're talking about. Mm. And here's where it led me and why I chose this instead. Sure. And I want to have that conversation in a way that's not defensive because in this case, I don't feel defensive about it. But it's more like, if you knew what trade-off I was making, would you still have received this the same way? Right. And right. I think in facility, like I think whether I think in most non-work product contexts, the trade-off that someone is making is interesting. Like sure. in a facilitation context, 
What might be annoying to me from a pacing perspective might be a trade-off the facilitator is making for quieter voices Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. a little breathing room for slower thinkers or some spaciousness that like to me is irritating. But if I knew, like maybe, I don't know, but maybe if if I knew that the facilitator was like, I am intentionally giving us beats here for reasons. Maybe that would be helpful to me in just yeah. like shutting the fuck up in my brain to be like, why is this taking so long? Right. I don't or, know. Or, or at least you're that? having, you're having at least at that point, you're having a more foundational conversation, which to yeah. me is the goal of that kind of feedback. Like if you just are like, you're going too fast. And I'm like, no, I'm not. That's a boring conversation. <laughs> but, or if I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's a boring conversation. But if yeah. you're like, you're going too fast. And I'm like, I could see how that, could be your experience of it. And also like, here's what I'm thinking when I'm going too fast. And if we could talk about that a little bit, maybe we can find out something truer, deeper than if, and then if we're just deciding whether your first comment is right or wrong. Yeah. Because if all we're doing is debating whether your first reaction is right or wrong, it's like, that's so surface, you know? It's so surface. And it's, and what's more interesting to me in those conversations, if I'm the receiver is now that you know the trade-off I made, would you make the same one? So if you know that I was preferencing finishing the conversation so we had an outcome over spaciousness and inclusion, would you make that trade-off in this moment for this thing or not? Yeah, exactly. Like I think there's a thing in there that's very much about like having an ability when you're getting the feedback to say, here's what I was doing. (laughs) Now tell me what you think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like here's what I was trying to do. And I'm not doing that from a position of defensiveness, but from a position of let me let me let me tell you why I chose this path and not another right. one. Now right. you tell me if that was a stupid path to take, because that's more interesting to me than just it went too fast. And I think that's true even for very literal work product. So if you're like mm. the design is yeah, blue and right. I'm like blue sucks, it would be interesting to know what your thought process was about why you chose blue before we just say yes, blue sucks. I mean, I remember having this conversation with you about a previous iteration of the brand where I was like, I can't actually look at these colors on my screen. It hurts yes, my eyeballs. I remember those. And I was like, I don't know shit about design. I'm just telling you that I can't look at this because it gives me a, a, like an actual headache. Right. And you were like, this is like a design choice that is like edgy and modern and very of this moment. And I was like, that's interesting. And then obviously it changed because people have to be able to look at things. But Right, because it I wasn't it wasn't an art house poster. It was right. like everywhere. So <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was for keynote slides. But even hearing the context that's like, you know, power clashing is a design choice right. that we are trying in this moment very intentionally. It was a different conversation than me just being like, why would you pick this thing that's like painful to look at? And you're like, well, for a good reason. And we didn't know it would be painful. And now we do. Yeah. I had forgotten about that, and now you've awoken like a small trauma response. And really, in me. yeah, <laughs> was that traumatic? Yeah, that whole like rebranding process was pretty traumatic for me. That's um, so interesting. I didn't know that it was traumatic because yeah. I think because it's like a thing that I don't know about or have really strong opinions about. I'm just right. like I don't know. Um, wait, why was it traumatic? Now I want to know. Just Can because it was like it, it was a very cr- like frustrating creative search. Oh. For like, what is the next thing? And that was that was one answer, but it wasn't the right answer. And it just oh. felt like we kept wandering around in the dark and couldn't find a doorknob, but it's all good. The one other, I do have one specific hack for the how I experience you question, which is something Sweet. that we tried at the ready and worked really well, except that one person got really mad about it and then we never did it again. But Perfect. when we did it, it was cool. And it is to ask, so if you're the feedback receiver, you get to choose who you're asking this question of. So maybe you want some people who are farther away. Maybe you want some people who are close. Maybe you want it from everybody. But I took this from literature from Heidi Grant Halverson, who is dope thinker in social science. And the Mad Lib that she uses around feedback is this one. It's, if I didn't know better, I'd think you were X. Uh-huh. And it works really well because it gives the provider a little bit of coverage and a little bit of an out to be like, yeah, if I, I know, know you're not an ass. If I didn't know better, I, you know, and it's like, I do know better because we're close and we're friends and I know you would never do this. But if I didn't know that, 
here's what I would think is going yeah, on. Yeah, and yeah. it's just a really, it gives both sides the freedom to be like a lot more courageous mm-hmm. than just like going head on at something. I love that. And it actually connects to some of the Jedi work that we've done where we talk about the difference between intent and impact. Yeah. Where it's like you're giving someone the benefit of the doubt on intent. Right. And I think that is usually when we go off track, this is true even with you and me and some of our coaching, like usually when we're off the rails, it's because we're not, the intent we're assuming is not right. Yes, 100%. Like the stories do not match and they're not true. Right, underneath. And and it's like the impact is the impact. That's fine. But the intent, if you're not giving it the benefit of the doubt, it's usually like rut row. That's where things get really saucy. Yeah. 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 So that's it. That's now cool. we can move on. That's all okay, I great. have on how so, I experience you. I love it. I think that's great. great. So now we have bucket one, bucket two. Now bucket three, which is the degree to which you're keeping commitments, the degree to which you're honoring and embodying the agreements around you, both in your role and in the rest of the operating system. Mm-hmm. Feedback about that. Mm-hmm. What you think? I don't know, man. <laughs> it's not working. Right. <laughs> it's not working True. well. True. I mean, most of my experience around this is personal experience. And mm. mostly it's been garbage. Mm-hmm. So like when I get feedback, most of <laughs> here, I'll tell you my first hottest, most egoic take. And then you can tell me Great. what, what's up and we'll figure something out. Okay. Like in my role, for example, as source steward, if I get nice feedback, which I do because we work with lovely colleagues, um, it's usually behind the scenes. I get a lot of behind the scenes feedback because I think that nobody wants to be the person who's publicly like, let me shower this power holder with, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like with, like accolades. It's like nobody wants to be the fucking narc. Yeah, Yeah. nobody wants to be the teacher's pet. But I get a lot of very nice things in the background. And a lot of times when I get critical feedback from people who are close, this is not like because I say something publicly. This is like from people who are close. It is to me often true, but has no contextual base. Mm. So it's like, I don't see you doing X X, in this role that's a responsibility. And often I'm like, yeah, that's because you don't, like, true. And that's because you don't see why. Right. Which is like, how? which is, you know, where like 50 hours a week have, have, you know, gone for the last <laughs> month. So people are like, I don't see you energizing this one accountability. And like, it's very easy in the moment to be like, yeah, do you want to have a, have a look-see at what I've been up to? Because sure. uh, it's, it's all of these other things. And so I think in, um, you know, we can, we can pick apart if that's a useful example, why that is. But like often, I think in that role, but I presume in other roles, particularly internal roles for us, a lot of why it's really tricky is because most people are living context-free. So they're like, I'm looking at your role and here's what I want out of this role and here's what you're not doing that I want. And it's like, yeah, that's totally fair. I'm not Mm -hmm. doing all of the things all the time. Mm -hmm. But what you don't know is 98% of what I do. Sure. I I think this is the most challenging part about this area is that there's two things happening simultaneously. One of them is that people often don't have context. The other one is that we play a game, I think, generally of like optimistic governance where we write down too many responsibilities for too many roles and we hold too much stuff. And then when people are like, hey, you're not doing items 4B, you're like, well, yeah, I have eight roles and nine other things going on. And then that's exacerbated by the fact that we often do a little bit of like create tension, lean into the future stuff Mm -hmm. where you might be doing work that's not even documented yet because you're pushing Almost forward certainly. and so then and that comes at the expense maybe of something that's that's on the wall yeah. so i think on the one hand i'm like yeah i totally agree with what you're saying cuz i i also have reasons for why i'm doing or not doing whatever the hell i'm doing and i think it gets blurry because often people have reasons that even go outside of the scope of just other work like yeah. oh i didn't you know i didn't do that work cuz i didn't feel well yesterday i didn't deliver the project or like go to the client thing because 
I had a family commitment. Like suddenly, suddenly the re- the list of reasons gets really long. Yeah. And I think what we have to do, and I, I'd be curious if you push back on this, but I think what we have to do is try to be more realistic about the minimum viable required responsibilities mm. and 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 outcomes for the roles that we hold and be more precious about those and less precious about everything else. I think I have no pushback on that. I mean, I th- I see no downside. Right. In that. Yeah. I I think the other part of that conversation which I have had with like certainly with members of source is like you know, when someone is like, well, <laughs> uh, why aren't you doing this? I think we really need this. And I'm like, well, because I would have to stop doing the podcast. Right. Should I do, do that? that? Or like, I would have to stop selling business. Right. People are like, no, 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 Don't do, do, just don't do that. <laughs> and so I think just being clear about it, it's like, well, like, I don't disagree. And there's, now what? Here, here's what that would look like. Are we going to sign up? Do we want to sign up for that? Yeah. And like, look, it's still going to ultimately, like we we are in a self-managing system. So ultimately it is still up to the individual to determine what their own trade-offs are. But I take that kind of feedback really seriously when people are like, you should be focused on this thing because it's really important. And I'm like, well, here's what that would cost. Right. What do you think? And usually the answer is like, oh, we don't want to pay that price. And so yeah. I just think being more, again, being more clear about the trade-offs, like fewer responsibilities generally, fewer roles generally, Yes. But then also more specificity and clarity around like I am making this particular trade-off right now for whatever reason I have. Yep. And if and if you all thought I should if you all thought that that decision should break differently, mm-hmm. let's have that discussion. Yeah. Well, and and I guess what it brings me to is like the you know, the fewer roles, fewer responsibilities thing is is easy to say, hard to do because our mm. eyes are always bigger than our stomachs. <laughs> sure. And I think there's something here around how we do governance where we could spend more time when we look at a role talking about like what has to be happening for the role to be continually held. Uh-huh. Like not, it's not just like what are the responsibilities or what are the decision rights or whatever, but it's more like what's the minimum? Yeah. Like what's the what has to be happening at like a role filling citizenship level where you're oh, like that's interesting. This is good enough. And better mm-hmm. than this is great. And better than this is like, you know, you'll get feedback and 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 opportunities that come from being better than this. But like if you're not doing that, I'll give you an example. If you're a customer support person at Murmur, if you don't answer customer support requests within 24 hours consistently, you can't hold that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like that's just you know, you're not able to uphold the role at the minimum standard. Now, if you do it within the hour, amazing, maybe even mm-hmm. unhealthy, but mm-hmm. like, but not, but there's a minimum bar for that role that if you're not hitting, it's like, you're just not, you can't be in that role. Yeah. And I think we're not clear at all about that. Like I don't, for half the roles I hold in both companies, I don't know what the good enough bar is yeah. versus the like aspirational. I think that's right. And I also think in in our cases, but I think this is true in traditional companies too, because I feel like I was assigned a lot of special projects in my career. <laughs> um, there's also a question of like, let's like, I totally think that's a great idea of like, what is, you know, what is baseline performance in this job? And also, if I'm not meeting it, but I'm doing something and no one else can do anything or we can't afford to have anything. Do you want me to do something or for nothing to happen? Totally. Yeah. And because I think with you and I in particular, that's usually the choice where it's like, do you want 10% of my time or no progress on this at all? I think those are really valid conversations to have. And I think particularly in more traditional systems where it's just like, now you're on the tagger team, go get it lady. Uh, That conversation doesn't, doesn't happen when it's like, Mm-mm. you know, I definitely remember it being like, you know, you're the, you're the one, like we want you to do this because of X reasons. Mm-hmm. And I never said like, my performance on this is going to be really shitty because I'm right. working 70 hours a week and I don't have any more yeah. like juice. Time Would you finite. rather, do you want shitty me or more dedicated? Not someone me? else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't yeah. think we do that enough. Well, and I think, that's the interplay between the role description and the individual where yeah. if somebody's like, I want you in this role, 
Yeah. Then we probably need to de-scope the governance of the role to be like, here's right. what I'm like, here's what Aaron's <laughs> actually going to do. The new in basement. The, it's right? much, much more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, and we're all okay with that, right? Versus like, if it's yeah. going to be this thing, then I can't do it to that yeah. degree. And so we need to clarify. Or to the previous point, maybe we start breaking these roles down into like the musts and the nice to haves, where yeah. it's like, here are the responsibilities that are must haves. Yeah. And here are the responsibilities that are like, we'd sure love to see it. Right. You know, and like, right. if you can, if you can find a way to prioritize it, that would be dope. Right. Or when but we you don't can, do that, you know, when, when, when there's room in the, yeah, when there's room in the stack. All right. When there's room in the stack is a great place to wrap it up. Because we have so there's much no more, more to room. say. We didn't even talk about anonymity or Jedi or unseen yeah. labor. I had so much more to say about this. I know. I see your <gasps> notes and you've got like a bajillion <sighs> great ideas. Okay. Because we're going to do another episode because there's so much more to talk about and we didn't really figure stuff out yet. Fantastic. There are three types of feedback, according to Aaron. Work product, <laughs> experience of a person, upholding agreements for the role. In work product, you can do things like in-progress reviews, murder boards, crits, Pixar review process. In how I experience you, you can do a confidence rating. Uh, if I didn't know better, I think you were X. And you can start to get clear on preference versus quality. And in agreements for roles, you can be clear about trade-offs. You can simplify the roles to make fewer accountabilities. And you can make baseline or you know threshold level accountabilities. And then nice to have accountabilities. That's it. Love it. Love it. I actually like the wrap-up idea. We should do that more often. I love a recap. I do that with clients all the time at the end of the day. I'm like, here's what we learned. And I yeah. find that clients are always like, God, we did so much stuff. I know, I know. But if you it's don't incredible. say, if you we don't did say so it, much then stuff, it just blurs by. They were just in it. Yeah. All, all right. right. Tell them to review the show, Rodney. Oh, hey, y'all, would you review the show, please? We would really, really, really appreciate it. You could do it. You could do it today. You could do your one Give good Give us deed. some feedback. Yeah, we want your feedback, even if you don't like it. Whatever you like. <laughs> You always say that and it makes me nervous when you're like, just give us one star. I'm like, oh, no, cut it out. Well, it's hard to bring our rating down. It's so slammed against the ceiling. Wow. Now you're just (laughs) looking for trouble. taunting fate. (laughs) We hate it. Oh, this ass. I will wrap up with a quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. And you can get in touch with us and share your feedback by emailing podcast at theready.com. As for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.